just to give a disclaimer at the beginning, this is not a Taekwondo demonstration. In fact, part of that's because this is a two-by-six, um, not a very good one at that, uh, but most martial arts demonstrations, and a lot, of, uh, a lot of our young martial artists in here could tell you, uh, usually use one-by-ten pines uh, for board-breaking demonstrations. And part of that is actually because the equivalent amount of force to break a one-by-ten pine is the equivalent force that it would take to fracture a floating rib. That's your useless trivia for the day. I'll be here all week. I do remember uh, at one particular uh, belt test that I was at where they needed to get board holders from the crowd. And my dad invariably would get chosen for that because he's a, he's, a, he's a big guy. Um, yeah, John's not my dad. He's Jed's dad. Um, if John were my dad, I hope I would have gotten more musical talent. Um, but instead, I got height. Um, my dad's about 6'6 and a solid 270-ish pounds. And he's got this big farmer's grip and a big beard. He's a scary guy to run into if he wasn't smiling and if you didn't know him. And at one particular uh, board-breaking um, part of a belt test, my dad got called up to be a board, breaker, a board holder for the students, um, someone who can endure getting their fingers smashed if you miss. And the instructor uh, was trying to make a point about how impressive it was that all these students were breaking boards. And so he, he gave a board to the biggest guy there, who was my dad. And he said, sir, could you break this just with your hands? And my dad said, oh, I don't know. Crunch! <laughs> and he broke it in half and totally took the wind out of the instructor's sails because he was trying to make a cool point that no one should be able to do that. And in that moment, I realized, my dad's a lot stronger than people think. But what I also took away from that is the spiritual truth of it, a phrase that can get you through trials and tribulations, to know that my Father is far more powerful than people think, to know that we face adversaries and difficulties, but to know my Father is so much stronger than this. My Father is more powerful than people think. And we see the power of God demonstrated again and again in the Gospel of Mark. And so I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. We'll be looking at the first 17 verses of Mark chapter 2 as we continue following Jesus through the Gospel of Mark as we follow the lectionary this year. Jesus has been healing. He has been preaching. He's been both proclaiming the kingdom of heaven and he's been showing the people signs of the kingdom of heaven, demonstrating his authority and his power, and also teaching the people. And so today, we come to Mark chapter 2. We'll be looking at the first 17 verses, but before we go to God's word together, let's pray. God, there are many barriers that prevent us from being in your presence. But today, may we be reminded that those barriers have been broken through. There's the barrier of our own sin, but you have paid the price for that. There's a barrier of our distractions, but you have called us to be attentive to your word. There's the barrier of all the things to happen this week, but Lord, you told us, do not worry about tomorrow, for each day has enough troubles of its own. So Lord, may the barriers come down so that your presence may abide here. May you dwell in our hearts. 
May you open our hearts and minds and ears to what you'd be speaking through your word this morning. By your Holy Spirit, may we hear your voice through your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowds. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up, take up your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's a familiar story, isn't it? The one of the four friends lowering the man on the mat. It's familiar from childhood days of Bible stories. Yet every time I read this text... One of the things that I always wonder is what was going through the minds of these four men? What were they thinking? For one, we can assume that they're somewhere in the region of Capernaum, but we don't know how far they had to already carry their friend. But after carrying him to this crowd, what discouragement would they find in seeing there's no way to get our friend to Jesus? 
The crowd is a barrier between us and him. Maybe some of us at that point would think, well, we tried, but Jesus is too busy. The room's too full. Maybe we'll have to try another time. Maybe they thought about camping out and figuring eventually Jesus will have to leave this house. And when he does, we can bring our friend to him then. Maybe they thought they could just wait. But not these friends. Not these four men carrying the mat who had carried it for however long they could to get to this house. They saw the crowd and knew they couldn't get through the crowd, least of all carrying a stretcher. But instead, they found another angle for the problem. Good problem solvers that they are, they figured, let's go onto the roof. If we can't get through to Jesus, we can get at him from above. It's not such a sneaky thing, though, to to break through someone's roof, having to dig through it. And they know that they're going to make a scene. And maybe they're hoping that the man who owns the house has roof insurance for divine healings. But they take their friend to the roof, and they start going through it. And it would make a mess. I pre-approved this with Karen. There would be debris falling down on people below him, And do you think amongst all this commotion, anyone yelled at them to stop? Or when things started to fall down into the house, people said, Stop! What are you doing? But they kept going. Do you think at any point during this whole thing, they began to get nervous? What if this doesn't work? I mean, what if we go through all this effort and make a scene and Jesus doesn't or can't heal our friend? What if this doesn't work? We're going to look rather foolish if this is all for nothing. Maybe they had these doubts. Maybe it's just us knowing that maybe we would have our doubts and our fears, our uncertainties, our frightened wonderings of if this is all going to work or not, if our prayers are going to be answered, if our hopes will be fulfilled. I don't know if these four friends thought that way or if that's just us wondering that way. But what I do know is that they persisted. And their hope and their faith and their trust was that this man, Jesus, was the only hope for their friend and that they had to get their friend to him. There is no other way. We have to get our friend to Jesus. We absolutely have to. And this is going to be worth it. But what if they had walked away? What if they had never tried to cut through the roof and lower the mat to Jesus? What if they had given up too soon, or when they started to make a scene, people told them to leave, and they did? What if they had given up too soon? 
What if they never realized just how close they were and saw this thing through to the completion? What if they left it? Left the barrier intact between Jesus and their friend? When I read this story, I can't help but wonder, what does it teach us about prayer and the persistence of prayer? In in a very simple sense, prayer is just having a conversation with God about anything. But on top of that, petitionary prayer, when we offer what's on our hearts, when we have requests for God, when we petition God, When we do that, we're trying to put someone in the presence of Jesus. Now, of course, we think of this in raising them up to the Lord. We lift these prayers to the Lord. For the friends, they're lowering their friend down. But the truth is the same, whether up or down. In prayer, in praying for someone or something, we are trying to put someone into the presence of Jesus. Whether they need hope, whether they need healing or whether they simply need to learn who he is. In prayer, we try to put people in the presence of Jesus. And it takes great faith to know that our prayers are not just heard by ourselves, but that when we offer prayers, when we offer to put people in the presence of Jesus, our prayers are not just heard as we say them, but our prayers are heard in the throne room of the King of the universe. That takes great faith to believe and to remember that even when our prayers don't seem to be answered right away, that they are heard. Jesus recognized the faith of the friends of the man on the mat. And he grants their dearest hope that their paralyzed friend may walk, that he can take up his mat and go home on his own. On top of that, Jesus forgives the man's sins. In fact, primarily, he forgives his sins. But let's not get ahead of ourselves just yet. The friends took someone and sought fervently and persistently to put them in the presence of Jesus. Do we share their persistence and their faith and the fact that their prayers were accompanied by action? To put their friend in the presence of Jesus, it took creativity to cut through the roof and it took action and there was certainly a risk that if this doesn't work they would look rather foolish but they persisted of course we know that in breaking that barrier between Jesus and their friend in cutting through the roof these four friends were able to put their friend in the presence of Jesus and he was forgiven and healed barrier was broken. And maybe that's enough for us to learn from these four friends, that the barrier could be broken. But the friends are not the primary barrier breakers of the story. Jesus, by his very presence on the earth, is chief among those who break barriers. Think about how many barriers Jesus breaks, not just through the roof, in the incarnation, at Christmas time, we celebrated that Jesus, the Son of God, God was made flesh and dwelt among us. God put on human skin 
and was here among us as a person. The incarnation is a huge breaking of a barrier, the distance between humanity and God, between the natural and the divine. That barrier was broken simply because Jesus came and God was made incarnate, God made flesh. A barrier was broken in that. And it would mean so much. Now, not everyone knows that Jesus is this barrier breaker just yet. But Jesus breaks another barrier. He breaks the barrier between sin and salvation by essentially bypassing the law. Because when he sees the faith of these four friends, he says to them, he looks at them, but he says to the man who is paralyzed, Son, your sins are forgiven. Son, your sins are forgiven. He's adopting him into the kingdom of heaven by calling him son. That's extended to all of us. Daughters, sons of God, adopted, chosen by Christ to be in the kingdom of heaven. And he does this by saying, your sins are forgiven. My children... Your sins are forgiven. There's a barrier being broken there. And the people who know the barrier best are the Pharisees. And they can't handle this kind of talk. And to give a little bit of sympathy for the Pharisees, let's keep in mind that when they say, this fellow is blaspheming, they're right because they don't know who Jesus is. If Jesus was not the Son of God, then this would be blasphemy. To simply say to someone, your sins are forgiven, with no sacrifice, no attention to what is written in the law, none of this right stuff has been done. And so the Pharisees would be quite right in saying, Jesus, that's not how sins are forgiven. You can't just say it and make it so. But they only, don't, they only do this because they don't know who Jesus is. They don't know that Jesus has broken the barrier between God and humanity, and they don't know that Jesus can break through the barrier between salvation and sin by saying a word and making it so. Your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees don't know who Jesus is. Their reaction is correct only if Jesus is a mere human. But he's not. But granted, once again, a little sympathy for the Pharisees. No one really seems to know who Jesus fully is yet. The disciples are getting hints and clues. John the Baptist probably has the clearest understanding of any of the people. The demons are the ones who know most fully that this is the Son of God. But the Pharisees and the crowds, they know he's an amazing teacher, and they know that he's performing signs of the kingdom and miracles but they don't yet fully understand that Jesus is the Son of God and that by his word, he can create a new reality, even for the man on the mat, by saying, your sins are forgiven. Jesus can make this so by his words. And Jesus can also heal someone with his words just by saying the word. And we'll see elsewhere in this gospel, he doesn't even need to be in the same town as them. 
He can just say it and it will be done. This breaks through a barrier of how we understand the universe and the laws of physics. We cannot make things happen just by saying them. We can't just say to the board, break. Break. It doesn't work. Our words don't have the same power. But Jesus being God, his words have tremendous power. Because it was with words that God created the heavens and the earth. It was with words that God spoke and said, let this be, let there be light. It was with words that God created the very fabric of the universe. And so it is with a simple word that Jesus can change the fabric of the universe around one person's reality, forgiving them of sins and healing them and allowing a paralyzed man to take up his mat and walk. God's work in healing can be done just with a word. Whether it's the distance between us and God, the distance that holds us back, our sin that entangles, and the salvation we long for, whether it's the affirmities that afflict us or the healing that we desire, Jesus has the power to break all these barriers with a word. Recognizing their faith, he did all this for the man. But Jesus doesn't stop just with breaking those barriers as if they were not enough already. But he goes on to break social barriers too by eating with these tax collectors and sinners. Now in our culture, we might have something to say about who you spend your time with, who you want to have in your house, and and whose house you're invited to. But for Jesus in this culture, this honor-shame culture, the stakes were really, really high. Because whoever you eat with and whoever you invite into your house says a lot about you. And so for Jesus to be eating with these tax collectors and sinners gives the Pharisees plenty of ruffled feathers to wonder if maybe Jesus is also a sinner just like them. But Jesus reminds us that he's here to break barriers not of the righteous who think that there's no barrier between them and God, but rather those who see the barriers and don't know if there's any way around them or through them. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I always kind of wonder if Jesus did a sarcastic, I did not come to call the righteous. Because we're talking about self-righteousness here. I have not come to call those who think they are righteous, but I have come to call those who know they are sinners, who are in need of repentance. Jesus breaks through a barrier we can't even really understand. Jesus breaks through the barriers of sin and salvation. Jesus breaks through the barriers of physical reality and how we know the universe works. Jesus breaks through social barriers to go and spend time with those who have been called by him, with those who need him most. And when you start breaking barriers and doing these types of things, people start to nitpick you. I mean, after all, the Pharisees can't argue with the fact that Jesus is healing people 
And he's an amazing teacher. In fact, they're getting a little jealous because Jesus' teaching is getting way more attention and interest than theirs. And they can't argue with the fact that the lame are walking, the deaf are hearing, the blind are seeing, the demon-possessed are cured. They can't argue with these things, so instead they seek out to nitpick Jesus on who he spends time with. And that continues through chapter 2. If we're to follow Jesus, to really surrender all and follow Jesus, it might mean breaking through some barriers. And when we break through barriers, people find fault with us. And they'll find things to critique. But they'll do so more often than not because they can't argue with the fact that good things are being done. What kind of barriers do you need to break through? What barrier holds you back from faithfully following Jesus? Is it an addiction? Is it doubt and fear? Is it a sense of social anxiety? That if I spend time, if I approach that person, I might be wrong about who they are. If I offer to help someone, they might take advantage of me. If I ask someone a question, they might get hostile to me with an answer. What might hold us back from faithfully following Jesus? It takes faith to break through barriers, whether they be physical, social, or emotional. And sometimes it takes as much courage and persistence as anything else to believe that Jesus really can break down the barriers that we see so clearly. And if it doesn't take faith, it's probably not a barrier at all. If it's something we can do all on our own and doesn't require us to lean on God, it's probably not a barrier. What Barriers need to be broken in your life. Find them. Find those barriers that need to be broken in your life or in your witness. And in the name of Jesus Christ, break them. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. God, you are the God who breaks through barriers of time and space. You break through the barriers of our own understanding. You break through the barriers of our doubt and renew us in faith. You break through the barriers of our lack of courage by sending us your Holy Spirit. Lord, give us courage and faith like the man's friends who carried him May we pray in such a way as to put people in the presence of Jesus. And may we do this because we trust that you are the God who can change reality with a word. And may we remember that our prayers are heard in the throne room of the King of the universe and that you have called us as your sons and daughters. In the name of Jesus Christ, whom has broken the barriers for us and for our salvation. Amen.